Whether you're just starting to plan your career path, you're a hard worker seeking greater opportunity, an aspiring entrepreneur, or a business person at the top of your game, Radio 111 presents The Success Doctor, a roadmap to best practices to help you achieve your best professional life with Dr. Stone James. Here's Stone. Well, hello, this is Dr. Stone James and I appreciate you joining us uh, here at Radio 111 for the Success Doctor discussion. So I thought this, this episode, I thought we would dive into something very, what I find to be very interesting, and that is this. We all have the same number of hours in a day. We all have a lot of demands. And how do we perform at our best, right? So when we talk about, I don't know if it's so much the concept of peak performance, because it's not as if we're running a marathon or we're trying to run a triathlon for time. And so we wanted to put all of our energy into just this one event and have a peak performance of that one event. But rather, our lives demand kind of an optimal performance. And that optimal performance is really kind of a sustained high level of output. Now, of course, that also may, that may vary by the day and the time and the function, right? And so optimal may not always be, well, by by virtue of just reality, it can't be always perfect performance, right? What is optimal performance when it's 11 o'clock at night and you're working on that work project? Certainly you're not gonna be as polished or sharp as if you were working on that work project at 10 a.m., right? But how do you perform optimally in that situation, right? So optimal is really a, a relative concept. So I was doing some studying recently and I came across that and I, that really was a game changer in terms of my thinking and my, my expectations was how am I performing at an optimal level given everything that I'm going on? And so, so we've got that concept, peak performance versus optimal performance. And I thought that I'd give that to you so you could kind of chew on that and, and see what you think and see how that has applied in your life and see ways that you can dial up your performance in the various areas, even if it's a, a 1% growth or a 1% or a 2% or a 5% improvement in each of the areas. And if you strive to do that year over year or month over month, even though it's a small improvement now, it's cumulative. Right, and so that's going to cumulatively add up. And so though I, I, I say all of that in order to uh, dive into really what I think is gonna be the meat of the discussion, and that is is that how do we go on and uh, how do we accomplish that? How do we really ensure that we are performing at an optimal level given the number of demands that we've got? And so it's, it's one of the things that I think that we all know about. Now, how much we know, that's gonna vary by just your, how much reading you've done and your, your passion level, but intuitively we all know, hey, we have to take care of ourselves. And you, you talk to anybody and the knee-jerk reaction is, oh yeah, of course we've gotta take care of ourselves. But what does that really mean? 
And, and so I thought we could dive into that. We could unpack that a little bit. So w- one, of the, one of the ways that I thought was kind of interesting to relate this was cardiac load. So if you are a, if you're, if you're training as an athlete, you're not going to go out and you're not going to train full tilt 12 hours a day, every day. That's just, it's unsustainable. It's not realistic. It, that's just not how it works. Your body will break down and ultimately you're actually probably going to have, well, you won't have gains. You'll actually have losses. So how does that athlete perform? And I would answer that you would have, it's, it's periodization. And this was something that I think was really pioneered probably in the 1960s. But what that periodization approach is, you'd go out and you would train for an hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, two hours, whatever the sport that you're working on. And then you'd give your body time to rest. And that rest is going to be that opportunity for your body to recover and build back stronger. And so if you were to take a look at a, uh, a triathlete, uh, it, was, it was interesting. I knew someone whose father uh, was having heart problems and he was on a, uh, a donor list. And there was a young man who was a triathlete that was uh, killed in a car accident and his organs were donated. And this 70-year-old, 60-year-old father received this triathlete's heart. And if you've really taken a look at uh, true top-level triathletes, they have very powerful hearts. It's understandable. They're out there on a race, you know, sustained high-level performance for 8 to 10 hours if they're doing an Ironman, probably closer to really eight if you're a, an Olymp- if you're a, a competitive Ironman triathlete. And it was amazing to see how this person, how this 60 or 70 year old father, his ability just went off the, the it, it just, it, there was such a dramatic improvement. He could hike faster, he could walk longer. It was just amazing what this large heart did. So, you know, so you've got this heart of a triathlete and it's, and it is enlarged due to the periodization of the training, right? Given the training load, the training, the stress, and then the recovery, stress, recovery. And then you can take a look at the heart of a person who has chronically high blood pressure. And a, uh, actually an old boss, he attended the autopsy of a petite woman who was you know, reasonably trim, she was, I think, in her mid to late 50s, and she had uncontrolled blood pressure for years. And so they did an autopsy when she unfortunately passed away, and they found that she had a very large heart, an enlarged heart. But the difference between her enlarged heart and the triathlete's enlarged heart was that her enlarged heart, the heart had grown and because of the constant load that it was under. But unfortunately, the walls of the heart had become too big and they did not, it, it became increasingly difficult. It's called hypertrophy. So it was, 
it had become ineffective at pumping blood. So you'd say, well, how does that work? You've got an enlarged heart, a larger heart of a triathlete, and you've got an enlarged heart due to the constant pressure. The difference is, is that triathlete, it would, he would push it, he would rest. He'd push it, he would rest. He would push it, he would rest. And as a consequence, his heart became very healthy. It became very strong. It got larger, but not in the ineffective hypertrophy way of this um, 55 or 60-year-old woman who had passed away. So the point is, is, is that how do we apply that to our, our work life, our home life? How do we do that? How do we go for the optimal performance? How do we involve periodization in our training or even in how we work? And how do we, what are we doing to keep our machine running? And so I was doing a little reading and it was pretty interesting that concept of how do we, how do we get that optimal performance? I know at work, I've got a um, wonderful job. I get to work for a local city here, the city of Cathedral City. I'm the director of economic development and it's so meaningful. You get to go to work. And you, you get to, or I get to, really work to improve the lives of people in the community, to improve the economy, right? And the, the, the more I can do for the economy, the more employment opportunities are going to be generated for the residents. And we have residents within our city, some of which who live at or just above or, or maybe 150, 200% of the federal poverty limit some people that really could use the employment opportunities, can use the money, can use the benefits. And so it's a tremendously fulfilling job, but it's also very demanding. And so early on, I would start my day at 7 a.m., work through lunch, and just grind because there's only one person in the department. But I've started to realize that that's not very effective. And how can I bake in breaks during the day where I can completely disconnect and decompress so that I can go back and I can be stronger and I can be sharper. And so I, I think that when we are talking about how do we excel at work, it's also a simultaneous conversation about, well, what are we doing in the other aspects of our lives? What are we, how are, what are we doing to take care of our emotional health? What are we doing to take care of our physical health? What are we doing to honor and respect and grow and develop the relationships in our lives? I think that we all have known people, maybe you're one of them, that have had situations where the home life is in serious trouble. Heaven forbid the home life is falling apart. And so certainly those people are not going to be performing their best at work when they know that the ship back home is taken on water and is about to sink. And so it's, it's interesting, as I have gotten older, I've really come to appreciate that you just don't get one good and really good in one area, but what are you doing holistically to really honor and respect all the relationships? Certainly, we, we have seen people, and, and we know some people who are kind of more emotionally intelligent. If you see someone being rude and disrespectful to a waiter, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant, 
but then they're nice to you, that should probably send off a little bit of a red flag. And so similarly, how, how does all of this gel and how does all of this come together? And so one of the things that I thought I would bring forward today was a book called The Power of Full Engagement by Tim Lear, L-O-E-H-R, and Tony Schwartz, The Power of Full Engagement. And it was an interesting book. It was actually recommended to me from the head of school uh, over at Palm Valley School, uh, just an excellent, excellent independent school here within the Coachella Valley. And this is this this gentleman, the head of school there, is Dr. Uh, Steve Sherman. He's probably the best leader that I've ever met, short of uh, meeting General Petraeus years ago. But he really talked about just the importance of some of the things that we t- uh, that this book discussed. And so, what are those? What are you doing during your day to give yourself a little bit of break, give yourself your mind and your body time to recover before you go back into it? And then what are you doing each night when you go home and you you are investing in your relationships at home? And so it was a very interesting read, something that I thought I would uh, bring to your attention and recommend that this would be something that if you are if you're if you're at, if you're at a certain place in your career, you think you're capable of more, but you're not getting more or you're at a certain place in your career and you feel like things are just getting more difficult to do, I thought that this could be a tool that you use to really take a look holistically. Are you making time for adequate sleep? How much do you drink at night? Are you doing any smoking? How are the relationships at home? Are you making time to work out? And how many have how many people have we talked to that said, "Oh, I just don't have time to to work out." Uh, you know, I I often think of Stephen Covey had a great analogy in his uh, book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he was talking about well, actually, it's the seventh habit, which is sharpen the saw. And the story that he gives to illustrate the importance of taking time to sharpen the saw is is there's a lumberjack. He's out in the woods, and he's cutting down this big tree, and he is slaving away, and he's he's throwing the axe and throwing get just hitting the tree, hitting the tree, and he's just exhausted. And someone walks up to him and says, "Hey, do you think you should take a minute and sharpen the saw so that that saw or that axe does a better job of cutting the tree?" And his response was, "No, no, no, no. I'm I'm in too much of a hurry. I just have to keep, I just have to keep going." And what he didn't realize was is that his, his saw had become incredibly dull. So I'm sure we've all used instruments. We've all used a saw or knife before. How much easier is it to cut things if the knife is sharp? Similarly, the analogy there was if that gentleman had taken time to sharpen the saw, as Stephen Covey would say, he would be much more effective at cutting down the tree and it would take less energy. So similarly, the power, the book, The Power of Full Engagement kind of talks about the same thing. So how do we take that intentional approach so that when we go to work, how many times have, have you experienced yourself or if you know someone where 
you're at work and you're working hard and you've got a ton to do, but when you're at work, you're distracted. And you're distracted because maybe there's something you're not doing at home. And it's eating you because you know you have this incredibly important role at home, maybe to your significant other, maybe to your kids, and you know you're not giving them, making them the priority that you need to, 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 you're not being available for them, you're not being present with them like you should, and you're experiencing that guilt at work. Or how about one of those situations where you're at home but you're thinking about what you haven't done at work. And so so how can you get better at doing both? And so that's what I thought that this uh, this session we would we would discuss and I would invite you to take a better look at that, take a closer look at at so there was this really neat you know that that book 7 habits of highly effective people. I bet you I probably read that 25 years ago, certainly at least 25 years ago. And one of the things that really stuck with me, well, there's a number of them, but one of them was this uh, situation class. This teacher brought a big glass jar, put it on the desk, and the teacher put fist-sized rocks in the jar. And the teacher asked, okay, students, okay, kids, is the jar full? And everyone said, yeah, it is. And they're like, well, actually, it's not. So then they took smaller-sized rocks. Maybe they were size of a quarter. And she poured those rocks in the jar, filled it up to the rim, and said, is the jar full? And the kids said, yes. And she said, mm, no, it's not. And then she took very small rocks put it in there, had to shake it around a bit, put more in, shake it around, and he said, okay, kids, is the jar full? Now, finally, the class had caught on, and they, in unison, said, no, it's not full, and they were right, it was not full. Next came a little bit of sand, asked the same question, the kids in unison said, said no, and then finally, she poured water up to the top, and at that point, the jar was full. But what she had, the lesson, that she was trying to illustrate to the kids was if you had put the water in and the sand, the small rocks, and then the quarter-sized rocks, you would never have gotten the big rocks into the jar. But when you started framing your week, when you, when you started with putting the big rocks in the jar first, and then you started adding the smaller rocks, the pebbles, the sand, and the water, it would all fit. And so that was something that really stayed with me. What are the big rocks that we work on in our lives, right? What are the big things we need to accomplish each day or each week? There was another thing from the seven habits of highly effective people that really was moving. And that was to chronicle, to list out our roles. So what roles do we have? So I know personally, I have the privilege and the pleasure of serving the city as Director of Economic Development. I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a reserve deputy, uh, still kind of a student. And so I have those different roles. I'm the 
chairman of a board of a of a independent school. And so when you list out those roles, a you every week you write them out. And then every week you take a look at each one of those roles and you say if I were to do one small thing to that role in that role that would advance the overall role, what could I do this week? And I thought that was very powerful because how many times do we lose sight of all of the different things we're juggling? And then how often do we neglect to make deposits? So there's one thing that my, uh, probably my daughter and my wife would roll their eyes over, but is, is that I talk about an emotional bank account. And that emotional bank account really has to do more with the relationships in our lives. And really, I think everything we've got is relationship-based, whether that's at work or at home or your friends, uh, even, even with law enforcement, when you're out serving people, and are you dealing, are you treating people with respect, even if you have to arrest them because they violated a law? Are you res- treating them with respect and dignity? The answer should be yes. Uh, and so, so, so this, this concept of an emotional bank account, it exists between you and the other person that you're in a relationship with, not a, not a romantic relationship, but just any relationship. And so that really, so, so friendship is like a box. The box stays empty until you put more into it than you take out. And so how can you be making deposits into the emotional bank account in the relationships that you've got? And so, and here's another powerful concept, and that is is that accidentally, or sometimes not accidentally, maybe intentionally, if you're moody or you're upset or you're whatever, you make a deposit, or you make a withdrawal from that account, right? So you say something that, and they come up with an idea and you immediately say, oh, that's a dumb idea. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. I I could have softened it. Well, regardless of whether or not their idea was a good idea, kind of you giving them the unvarnished truth that blatantly, that was a withdrawal from that bank account. Now, if you have been consistently making deposits into that bank account, then an occasional withdrawal will not bankrupt the account. And so, but we've seen this with, with relationships. We've seen this certainly with marriages. Something trivial ends up causing the marriage to end. It kind of along the lines of the straw that broke the camel's back. How much does the straw weigh? Not very much, but it was that final straw that, that added to the load so significantly that the figurative camel's back broke, or in, in the case of those relationships, it was a small withdrawal, but because the deposits, the withdrawals over time were greater than the deposits, it's that small act, it's that small withdrawal that eventually bankrupted the account. So, uh, so anyway, so I just thought that was, that was an interesting concept about that emotional bank account. And then you take that concept and you apply that to the roles that you have. What little thing can I do in each one of these roles 
that will build the momentum within that role. Maybe it's to your significant other. Maybe it's getting them flowers or putting stuffing a little card in their briefcase. And so it's it gets back to that being intentional. And so uh, I thought that uh, that when you have that mindset and you're 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 intentionally taking a look at how am I what am I doing as a person and what am I bringing to each of these roles? Because if you're failing greatly in one role, that absolutely is going to affect your performance in the other roles, whether that's directly or whether that's indirectly. And so uh, those are just some things that I thought that you might find interesting as we've talked in the context of how do you find your North Star? How do you really find what you want to start doing to move your life forward, get it in a better place? Maybe it's not the ultimate job or the ultimate business, but you want to take a step towards that. And we've talked about how to get the job or how to do well on an interview. But I also thought it would make sense for us to really talk about this concept of optimal performance and what are we doing to honor and to respect the, re- the roles and the relationships that we have because one of the things rest assured that they're all connected. And so uh, I, I hope you find that interesting. If you've got any questions, you've got any thoughts, please send me a, a tweet at, at Dr. Stone James. You're certainly welcome to email me at drstonejames at gmail.com. I hope you found this an enjoyable discussion, and I appreciated you taking time out of your day to be a part of it.